Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter eight. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hello and welcome to our discussion tonight of Romans chapter 8. And I've titled this lecture, New Life in the Spirit. Paul starts Romans 8 like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. New life in the spirit. This is the best news we've had yet in Romans 8. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This, my friends, is new life in the Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So it's possible to have new life in the spirit. Now, Paul is going to remind us of this constant struggle between the flesh and the spirit. They're always at war within us. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, this battle, this battle, lust of the flesh, desires of the spirit, grace versus temptation, a struggle, a battle for the soul. It's flesh against spirit, flesh-led life versus spirit-led life, a misuse of your, of your freedom or a call to freedom, self-indulgence or self-sacrificing, destroying one another or loving one another, life by sinful desire or life by the spirit. Desire what's sinful or desire what's spiritual. Display acts of sin or display fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's our choice. Paul says at verse 9, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God really dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of your sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. This battle again of the spiritual life, even for the baptized, because Paul's already told us about baptism. What it is, my friends, is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is an incredible power we get last. about it because it's so familiar, but the power of the resurrection is everything. And Paul knows that. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. So now my friends, we have an indwelling Holy Spirit of the living God in our temples, in our bodies. We have new life in the spirit. So then brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Romans 8 is really the crown jewel of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's right in the center, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful treatise on life, new life in the Holy Spirit. He goes on at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness within our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Wait, did you hear that? What? Wait, 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 wait. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Dang. Oh man, shoot. It was going so well. Suffering, suffering is guaranteed to be involved. Ah, Romans 8, suffering. It's part of redemption because Jesus Christ joined to our human flesh when he became incarnate in the virgin's womb. And he is going to give us now the privilege to take part in his redemptive work on the cross. Paul tells the Colossians this, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He tells the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Suffering is going to be involved. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm part of the affliction of Christ on the cross. What does he mean? Well, we learned about the Trinity a couple chapters back. Holy, 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 thrice holy God in one. Each divine person of the Trinity has a mission, but all those missions work together in the perfection of love. We talked about God the Father as creator, God the Son, Jesus as redeemer with his cross, and the sanctifier, God the Holy Spirit. Now, if I am baptized into all three of them, into the Trinity, then I am called to partake in each divine mission of love. And as a full family member, I am called to cooperate with the creating mission, the redeeming mission, and the sanctifying mission of the Almighty God. Now, I have cooperated with creating. I have cooperated with redeeming. And I have cooperated with sanctifying. And you say, how? How have you done that, Sharon? Well, I have cooperated with creating. How? This is how. Steve and I have been so blessed by God to come together in the beautiful marital embrace open to life. And when God blessed that, he let us, he allowed us to become part of creation, uh, co-creators with him. He allowed us to bear me, to bear life. I mean, he he allowed me that privilege of being a co-creator. Now he also is asking us to cooperate with redeeming the role of the second person of the Trinity, his cross. How? Well, to unite our suffering with him for the redemption of the world is powerful. And of course, Romans 8, I got to do it this week. Less than a week ago, I had surgery. And I, I'll i tell you about it. Just I, I, uh, I've lost a little weight and I, saw, I thought I saw my sternum bone in the middle of my chest. And I said, wow, Steve, look, I can see my sternum. And, and Steve said, I don't think that's your sternum. And it turned out it was a lump, a mass in my chest. And... Um, 
we waited a while and it wasn't going away. And so Steve said, let's go see the surgical oncologist. And uh, he said, let's get some images. And we took some images and his suggestion was to, to cut it out so we could be sure because of my cancer history. I've had four different cancers. And so I had surgery last Thursday, less than a week. I'm filming this on Wednesday night. And it was supposed to last 25 minutes and it lasted an hour and a half. And Steve was going crazy in the waiting room. And when I woke up from surgery, the nurse told me that they had to take bone and tissue. And I just started crying. I was so scared. I, I, I said, oh, 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 Steve is such a good man. Steve is such a good man. And I just, as I went into the surgery, prepared myself with all the sanctifying grace I could. I went to mass. Four different priests around the world were offering mass right then for me. That was such a blessing. I went to confession with Steve. I wanted to be full of grace, full of sanctifying grace. And I wanted to suffer well. But when I heard it was bone and tissue and it was not what they expected. And I, I, I was, I thought, okay, Romans 8, can I cooperate with redemption for the life of the world? And in my selfish mother heart, I wanted to pray for my own kids. But I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you this time. You know, you know who needs the grace right now. And any pain I'm suffering emotionally or physical, could it be joined to your cross for the redemption for the life of the world? Like it says in Romans 8, provided we suffer, then we can partake in future glory. I'll trust you to dole it out to who needs it next, Lord. And it was near our All Souls Day. It was near the time of All Saints Day. I I just thought I'm going to trust the Lord. So I'm in the recovery room and this nurse wants to give me more pain meds because I'm crying so hard. And, and she says, can I bump up your IV? And, and I said, no, no, thank you. And she said, excuse me? And, and I said, no, no, thank you. And she said, all right. I said, I'm trying to suffer for the life of the world. <laughs> and, and she was like, all right, okay, lady. And she walked off and she came back a few minutes later and she said, can I give you some more pain medication? And I said, no, 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 no. I, it's powerful. It's powerful. And she, she said, I know you had a big surgery. I'm sure you're in a lot of pain. I, let me give you some more pain meds in your IV. I said, no, no, no. I, I want to suffer. And I, I know she thought I was loony bins, but uh, she kept coming back and checking on me. And then she told me she had just been through a divorce. And then she told me her second husband has, has cancer right now himself. And, and I told her, oh my gosh, don't waste your emotional suffering or what you're going through with your, your husband now. You can offer that all. You can put it all on the cross for the redemption of the life of the world. And, and she was listening and she started to tear up and she she said, I don't go to church. And I said, that's, she said, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I, I said, well, do you know about Christ and the cross and what he did for us? And, and, and any suffering you're having, you could join it to him for the redemption of souls. He, he could, he's asking you to be a co-redeemer with him. And anyway, by the time she wheeled me out to the car to go home, she had tears in her eyes and I had tears in my eyes. And I just um, could tell the Holy Spirit was at work. So anyway, we do, we are asked to be co-redeemers. And by the way, my pathology came back this week and I have no cancer. They took tissue and bone and cut through the muscle, but it was not cancer. So all that suffering, anything that could be suffered for the redemption of the souls and the life of the world, I tried to join to Christ. I was sore at home and Steve took a little bit of brunt of my suffering with no pain meds. And so that was the suffering that he could offer to the Lord. I said, well, put that up on the cross with, with, with Christ. Also, then I wondered, well, how have I helped with co-sanctifying the world? How have I helped the Holy Spirit in his mission? How do we do that? Well, Paul was always telling us about this inner conflict that, that I, I know what's right, uh, but I can't do what's right. And the thing I hate is the thing I do. And, 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 and he talks about this sin that dwells within us. And 
the mystical body of Christ has a solution for that. The Holy Spirit was given to us in a way to help us get rid of the sin in our life and to be sanctified. And it's by partaking in the sacraments, sanctifying grace in each and every of the seven sacraments of the mystical body of Christ fills us with grace, sanctifies us, and helps us pour out love to other people. And saints help make saints. When people are doused with love, especially unconditional love of the Holy Spirit, they start loving in a different way. It helps them become more sanctified. True light of Christ has entered the world. True light from true light. And I love that triangle, the Holy Spirit, a a prism of light. True light has come in and fractioned out into seven beautiful rays of color, seven beautiful sacraments that fill us with more of the Trinity. He is that light that brings us back into life with the Trinity through the sanctifying grace alive in the sacraments. Paul says the faithful shine as lights in the world. I mean, we radiate out that love of Christ and help sanctify others. I love this old image of the church, the body of Christ on earth, the cross of Christ. He's the head, the church is the body, and each of those seven sacraments that flow out and you see the sheep grazing and they're grazing on, on, they're drinking the water of life from each of the sacraments, from the Holy Spirit and the Trinity alive in that sanctifying grace of the sacraments. So my friends, it's possible for us to have new life in the Spirit and partake in co-creating, co-redeeming and co-sanctifying. The seven gifts the Holy Spirit wants to pour out in us to help us do that are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety and fear of the Lord. And these gifts are infused in our souls through sanctifying grace with God, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit fills us with sanctifying grace in this inseparably sevenfold, beautiful, beautiful covenant grace. So the sacraments are so important to get out of concupiscence, to not live by the flesh, but to live by the Spirit. And also the Spirit wants to give us more gifts. He wants to give us more fruits of this love. There's 12 of them, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, mildness or meekness, faith, modesty, continency, and chastity. He wants us to have all of those. So as a full member of the, of the family of God, we partake in the mission of the life of the Trinity, creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You're in the family. And if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship or daughtership. And we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we too may be glorified, resurrected with him. What a privileged position Jesus has invited us into. And there's someone who never, ever, ever leaves us alone when we're in that redemptive cross together with Christ. And that's our mother, Mary. Remember Romans 7 and that analogy from covenantal marriage. And we saw the old bride and the new bride, the old bride of God and the new bride of Christ. The old bride is Israel. The new bride is the universal church. And Mary of Israel is dressed in black, the widow at the foot of the cross, representing both marital covenants. Both are good. The sister bride of old covenant Israel and the mother bride of new covenant church. One 
bride is not abolished, but she is swooped, incorporated into the new covenant marriage, and it's called fulfillment. And Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, truly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So those first 3,000 Israelites, they're Jewish and they're incorporated into the new bride of Christ on Pentecost Day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Jesus on the road to Emmaus told them, you're so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So all that had to happen so that we could become Christ's siblings, his brothers and sisters. Was it not necessary? necessary that Christ should suffer these things. And if we're siblings in his family, is it not necessary that we should also suffer these things in order to enter into eternal glory with him? So there's an inclusion of the old bride into the new bride. And Virgin Mother Mary, Mother of God, is that hinge pin between the two covenants. God frees the Israelites from bondage. It was 400 plus years. They had to trust God. They had to pass through the waters of death to get to the other side, hopefully a journey to where the promised land. It was a difficult, difficult journey, just like us. We too, in this new covenant, must pass through the water of death, baptism, Paul told us, and our journey to the future promised land, future glory. It's also going to be difficult. Life's going to be tough. There's going to be hard parts to it. You are predestined to suffer. He tells us we are. You cannot be assured of your salvation, but you can be assured that it's going to require suffering. You are predestined to suffer. Paul tells us we'll have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Ooh, that sounds scary. No, because fear of God is one of those gifts the Holy Spirit wants to pour into our hearts. Fear of God, which leads in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, another gift the Holy Spirit wants to shower us with, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight, another gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and questions. He is echoing back to the Israelites there, that you could be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run the race or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. He has another fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy. He's able to rejoice even amid suffering. That first wedding, daughter Zion to God at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, they are all assembled. They're washed clean. They're blemish free for three days, standing there waiting to meet their lover. God, the husband comes down. The wedding gift is that God has given the chosen people, the Torah, his love letter, the law. And the Midrash records that Moses debated with the angels whether man was worthy of receiving the great gift of Torah. And Moshe, Moses, was judged the winner of that debate. And the first Pentecost was born, the giving of the law, Shavuot, the the Israelites called it. The people had so much fear and trembling at the presence of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. God's voice split into 70 
dialects, all the nations could hear the thundering, thundering voice of God. The divine speech was coming from the divine fire. The mountain was on fire and smoke and shaking. God showed them his great fire. The word, his word was in the midst of the fire. And even before the people heard the law, they consented to it. Israel was the nation that consented before hearing. According to a well-known Jewish midrash, the oral tradition, the midrash, that was uh, God initially offered Torah to 70 nations who would not accept it with first without asking, what is it about? After hearing the commandment, each nation had some excuse for not accepting it. But God turned to the nation of Israel, who said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Unlike the other nations, they chose Torah before ever knowing its contents. So Moses came down. He called the elders of the people. He set them before the words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered, all that the Lord has said, we will spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, lo, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud. And the people may hear when I speak with you so they may believe you forever, Moses. And on that morning, on the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts. So all the people in the camp were trembling. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord God called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and he's giving him the 10 commandments. And after the command to not covet your neighbor's house or wife or his manservant or maidservant, the people perceived the thunderings and lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And the people were afraid and they tremble and they stand far off. And they said to Moses, you speak for us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. So they interrupt God in the middle of him giving the 10 commandments and say, we're done. Moses, you go, we're out of here. And Moses says, do not fear. God has come to prove to you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes and that you won't sin. He's giving this out of love so that we won't sin. But the people stood far off and Moses himself went back up into the thick darkness. So the people interrupt God and and they don't want to hear it anymore. They're too scared. They're too afraid. And God in his mercy tells Moses, tell them that I'll send a prophet like you like Moses, an Israelite like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth and he'll tell them everything. God promised them that. They were so given over to their flesh, having left Egypt, Egypt was still in their hearts. They're so in their flesh that they can't not keep God's law, even for a few days, even after that great thunderous episode. And now, after the the apostasy of the golden calf, Moses pleads, he intercedes on their behalf. Oh, please, I pray thee, O oh God, if I found favor in your sight, show me now that I may know and find favor. Consider the nation, consider the people, your people. And the Lord said, Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if, if your presence doesn't go with me, then don't, if you don't carry us up from out of here, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and the people. He's really bargaining for them. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And Moses said, oh, please, please show me your glory. Show me that future glory that Paul's talking about. And he said, I'll make you 
I'll make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and I'll proclaim you before my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But Moses, he said, you cannot see my face anymore. No man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place that you can stand a cleft in the rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll just see my backside. My face you cannot see anymore. So Moses gave up the glory of the Lord for the grumbling, sinful, flesh-filled Israelites. He's quite an intercessor. He's quite a deliverer. And he will get them all the way to the promised land, but they he himself will not get to go in. God has a different plan, and the Lord God will bury him with his own hands, but no one will know the place of burial to this day. The apostle Jude records that Michael the archangel contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses. But Moses appears again in the New Testament in the glory, the future glory of Jesus Christ transfigured. He gets to see the future glory of the second person of the Trinity on top of a mountain, Tabor, not Sinai, but Tabor. He's got his tablets of law and Jesus Christ is the new Moses. He's got not the law, the tablets, but love. It'll be written on their hearts. It'll be himself, the Holy Spirit. So we had that first marriage to Israel and the first Pentecost, the first Shavuot, and then the final marriage for all humanity, the first Christian Pentecost. Now this one, the new one, they were all gathered. The day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. Now that would have made them think way back to Sinai. They knew the story. They celebrated it every year. There were appearances as tongues of fire. Remember, God spoke through fire. But these tongues of fire distributed and rested upon each one of them. So the divine speech from the divine fire, the divine speech of God that all 70 nations could hear has now settled on each and every individual person. This is a very personal bridegroom this time. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the living God and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This divine speech this holy fire of God had settled on men from every nation. Every nation, again, is represented. Every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing God speak in his own language, just like at Sinai, just like at Exodus 19. The divine speech of God was settling on each individual from every nation in a very intimate, personal way. The divine speech from the divine fire on Sinai that all 70 nations could hear, they could all hear in their own tongue. There was fire, there was clouds, there were trembling, there was wind, there was fear, there was shaking, there was quaking. It was Shavuot. It was Pentecost again. And all that the Lord has said we will do was their response at the first Pentecost without grumbling, without questioning. How receptive are you to receive this intimate divine love language because God wants it for each and every one of us. He wants to fill us with his own Holy Spirit. But how receptive is the bride? How receptive is the bride with a fallen human nature? In the first marriage, they could not keep the law. 
But the second marriage is a different law. It's a law of love. It's the Holy Spirit. Love is the fulfillment of the law that's been written on the human heart. And this new bridegroom is asking, what is your love language? It's so personal. It's so intimate. He wants each one of us in this type of communion with him. That was part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter eight, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.